Welcome to Annersbrook Church. We hope that this message from our senior leader, Brent Lieberzeit, empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure that you subscribe or visit our website at annersbrook.co.nz for a service near you. This morning I've been asked to speak on communion. I'm actually enjoying being asked to speak on certain topics because most of the time I normally kind of don't. Normally I kind of give what I kind of feel for the moment or, uh, and I often find that um, being told what to speak on is absolutely challenging because it's not what I would normally speak on. Uh, my life growing up in the Churches of Christ, which Annasbrook Church particularly, was communion every week. And so to be honest, uh, leading a church that celebrated every week communion. We're going to have communion this morning, by the way. Uh, So I'm not adverse to communion. Uh, I'm just adverse to the religiosity of communion and the ritual of communion. And I've always desired for communion to be special, to be uh, part of uh, what we do, but also not something that we just do because we're doing it. Oh, it's Sunday. We've got to do that again. Oh, it's it's next Sunday, we've got to do that again and again. And so uh, I, I guess, I, I, to be honest, I'm being honest and open with you, I have had a little bit of a phobia, a communion phobia uh, in my life growing up, just simply because of what I experienced in my previous life as a child. Well, it's the same life, but it was years ago. It was so long ago, feels like a previous life. Did that really happen? If I could take you back to our church back then, you'd be going, whoa, wow, this is kind of interesting and, and good at the same time and not so good in parts. And, you know, and, and probably in 20 years' time, we'll be saying the same thing about now. Oh, it's pretty good. Not so good in parts, but because we move on, right? We only, we only go with what we know at the time and we continue to want to uh, reflect and, you know, and, and even in those days we loved God, we loved Jesus. I think my earlier days we didn't quite understand who, what the Holy Spirit was about but we still loved God. We we're very strong in the Word, not so much on the Holy Spirit and as you know too much Word you dry up, too much Holy Spirit you blow up. <laughs> so it was a privilege to be Word-based and then coming into the things of the Holy Spirit, which actually I think is an incredible, well, I think an incredible balance. I, th- I feel like we're balanced, but I might be wrong. <laughs> All right, let's talk about communion. And the reason why I say, you know, being chosen to or being asked to speak on a topic is quite challenging because it's not something I'd normally delve into. And by the way, I love, I love going into very... Um, Interesting scriptures, not just the usual scriptures, but going into interesting scriptures and finding interesting things. So you ready for this? This is an interesting one. It's on communion and it's the Apostle Paul <coughs> who wants to, uh, wants to speak to the Corinthian church and he's talking about the religiosity of life and you know the things that we get caught up in ritualistically and things like that. Look at what he says. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Any sensible people in the room? (coughs) Sensible people. Judge for yourselves what, did someone say no? (laughs) Judge for yourselves what I say. 
is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ and is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. <laughs> I like that kind of, script, <laughs> kind of Scripture. Uh, so you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. I mean, Paul's really going hard, right? Uh, after something here. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than He? Father, I pray Your Word would be powerful this morning in revelation to understand, God, what Paul's saying, not just what Paul's saying, but God, what You're saying through Paul to, uh, to, uh, to us even today, if that is possible in Jesus' Name. And I say, I ask the question, is it possible? Because I do wonder if Paul was just really hitting the, the, the first century church. And uh, we, um, he's coming across pretty annoyed He's frustrated. He's picked up something so entrenched in the people that he's coming across quite hard-nosed and it appears somewhat benign and irrelevant to us in the 21st century. Christianity, this to us I've never heard preached, therefore an irrelevant passage of Scripture possibly filled with confusing double talk on topics remote to today's culture and therefore really probably doesn't interest us. After all, who of us is bowing down before idols? And who of us uh, might be sharing in the cup of demons? Oh my gosh, sounds pretty heavy duty, doesn't it? I personally have never once been tempted to bow down uh, before a clay wood or bronze image, I don't know about you. And I doubt that probably many of you have either. Would that be right? I mean, it kind of seems so ridiculous, right? And whoever spends a lot of time worrying about the nature of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine, we know what they represent. Why get so uptight as Paul seems to be coming across as doing so? Who of us is even slightly tempted to go into pagan temples and eat meat being offered to idols. We have a hard time finding such temples these days with such meat offerings. <laughs> All right? And also, you know, hasn't Paul already contradicted himself by saying it doesn't actually really make any difference whether you eat meat offered up to idols or not? If you read Scripture, you'll know that he's, he's talked about that. And what is all this talk about demons? I mean, who of us believes in them? Because we're, we're a people today so scientifically sophisticated, attuned to the latest developments in medicine and psychology, we know more than they did back then, 2,000 years ago, that's for sure. Demons, they're not demons. <laughs> I didn't hear what you said, Charles. What'd you say? <laughs> Are you just clarifying it for the people? 
For those of you new here this morning, you may be wondering where I'm going with all of this. Maybe for those of you who aren't new, you know me. Some of those so-called demon-possessed people of the first century probably didn't suffer from demons at all. Because now we know with our far more knowledge that they probably suffered from illnesses instead. Psychotic moments, dare we call it demonic today, we cannot compute to such a dark possibility in our current culture. It's not prayer people need for freedom, it's a pill. <laughs> oh, I could really go down a really bad track, but I've got to stick with my notes, guys. So is the scripture irrelevant, worshipping idols and drinking the cup of demons? And then Paul goes on about a jealous God. Well, who wants to serve a jealous God? How can God be jealous? The God we believe in isn't that kind of tyrant, right? I mean, in our wokeness, right? God has become lower than us well-balanced human adults. We got it sorted. We know what's better. We are better than God. We don't agree with God anymore in our wokeness. God has become lower than us. We have moved beyond our immature self-centeredness to a much healthy awareness of others. I mean, who wants to worship a God to whom the attribute of jealousy is attached? The scripture surely is irrelevant. But wait. (laughs) I'm told scripture is God inspired. I'm told scripture goes beyond time and relevance has its key or is its key. That's why it is still the most read the most loved book of all time because it has answers for us even today. Even today. Even though Paul's writing to the first first century church, 21 centuries later, the Word of God is meant to be and still is relevant for us today. Therefore, this passage is far from being locked into irrelevance and limited to only first century understanding. This is one of the most important themes of all Scripture, which when updated to our contemporary today's circumstances are as relevant today as they were then. The central thrust of this passage is Paul encouraging you and I to make our decision about Jesus Christ and then stick with it. That's what Paul's implying. He's saying, listen, there is no room for playing both sides of the street spiritually. So let's look at the context of what, where he's at. Trying to understand Scripture is often working through a contextual perspective. Why was Paul writing to this to the Corinthian church? What was going on at the time? Always good questions to ask. The Apostle Paul has just finished warning them about religious ceremony and ritual and methodology. Although significant and as significant as they are when filled with personal meaning, these rituals, 
They can be totally empty if they are viewed as just going through the motions, right? For example, when Jesus urged His disciples to pray, He warned them that they should not pray as the heathens do. Don't go babbling on as the heathens do, right? Instead, Jesus urged us to talk to God in incredibly highly personal terms, such as, such as, yes, our Father, our Father. He's your Father. He's your Dad. He's the one who's never let you down. He's faithful. That's who you're praying to. You're not just, it's not just a ritual. It's, 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 it's personal. To simply be identified with a religious community and to jump through religious hoops does not guarantee that you are spiritual. (laughs) Earlier in this passage, Paul illustrates how many of the Israelites, as blessed as they were in that time of Exodus, when they came out out of Egypt with that supernatural guidance, amazing, these supernatural guidance, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, not just that, they had a supernatural deliverance, the parting of the Red Sea. They also knew what it was to have supernatural food of manna and quail, the supernatural drink of the water from the rock. And even more significantly, the Bible says that they had a supernatural presence of Jesus Himself. Wow. And with all this going for them, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of, most of them and they were struck down. They died in the wilderness. Why? Because many of them desired evil. Many of them practised idolatry. Many of them were sexually immoral. Many of them tested God, refusing to believe His Word. Many of them grumbled and complained. Many of them, uh, they were all faced with painful consequences for their disobedience. I mean, what a privileged set of circumstances that they had. And we look back at them and we see how privileged they were but they are a classic illustration that simply being exposed to so much of God's grace and power does not guarantee that one lives in the reality of God's grace empowered by His Holy Spirit. And then Paul moves from the Old Testament while he's trying to explain all of this. He moves from the Old Testament and he goes into the, the New Testament to the first century uh, Corinthian church. And he reminds the believers there that as privileged as they are to participate in the sacraments of baptism and the, and the Lord's Supper, that these very symbols of being washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, partaking His very body and blood, broken and shed for their salvation, is no guarantee of spiritual relationship with the Lord. These can be mechanical religious rituals. And one can jump through the hoops without allowing ourselves to be gripped by the power of God unto salvation and without growing in daily spiritual relationship with Him. And it's at this point that the context becomes of ultimate relevant significance today. And this is a relevant conversation that we are having. (laughs) Each of us has been given the privilege to hear the Gospel. 
Some of us have responded to it, receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. Some of us have heard it and said, well, you know what, I might, I might do it at some stage. Not really kind of yet. I'll, 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 uh, I'll accept them in time to, uh, to slide home safe into heaven. That's a good one, isn't it? In the meantime, it's possible both for believers and non-believers to go through a religious ritual that props us up artificially. We're doing the right things, and, and, but, but it's artificial. It's not real. To, uh, faking the kind of spirituality that really isn't there. So the Bible refers to it as practising a form of godliness, but denying its power. The manifestation of this among some of the Corinthian churches was that they would both celebrate the Lord's Supper as professing believers within the Christian community and then they'd twaddle off uh, when it was convenient into the pagan temples and participate in the pagan feasts, eating meat that was in the process of being offered to idols. These were sensible people, sophisticated people, not dissimilar to some of us here this morning. We think we can have it both ways. A little bit of Jesus and a little bit of the world. And we live in a spiritual schizophrenia, handling the supernatural potential that breathes life and meaning. Even as we take communion, it's breathing life and meaning into you. And we, we think we can hold on to the sacraments void of the spiritual depth of, of, of the meaning because we want to juggle at the same time all that is so fascinating and interesting in the idol worship so popular in our culture today. So that's the context. So here's a question that's raised in this. And it's stated very simply, and the question is this. Have you made a decision for Jesus Christ? Let me be very clear. You have to make some kind of decision. You have to make a decision. It's either going to be yes or no. Have you made that decision? You are called to make a decision as to whether or not you are going to receive Christ as your Saviour. And I know that there are some of you here today who are struggling with this decision. You may be one of them. Maybe you've never repented of sin. You've never accepted Jesus Christ into your life. And you're pulled in two different directions. You're like at the crossroads of your life. I also know that there are some here who have received Jesus Christ as Saviour, but you're pulled as well, as were the first century Corinthian Christians, pulled into this life of spiritual schizophrenia. We are tempted to live both within the community of faith, eating of the bread and drinking of the cup. And then after spending that hour or two or three or four, depending on how long I go for, we compartmentalise that moment and we move off into our other life, bowing before lesser gods. Paul puts it bluntly, he says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. <laughs> this call is addressed to one who has never received Jesus and it is just as significantly addressed to the one who is numbered among us as a Christian, but finds oneself straddling the fence. 
It's kind of like a moment where there's a call like Joshua made, who stood before the children of Israel and said, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It's a call where Elijah stands before the prophets of Baal and begins to call out to them and says, and he, he, he you know, goes through this incredible moment of, of proving that God is real. And he says to the Israelites, and he says, he says, how long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, then follow Him. And too many of us are limping. We're Christians and we're limping. And we're limping between two opinions. And it's the same word that the Apostle Peter declared on the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit came upon them. They go out and they start preaching. What do they preach? Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He brought them to a point of verdict. He brought them to a point of choosing I've got a choice. You've got a choice to make. You've got a decision to make. Make your decision. Whether one eats food offered to idols was not the issue. That's not what Paul was talking about. Paul was focusing on the issue being whether or not we have become double-minded, blending the worship of God and demonic idol worship. Are we dancing with God and dancing with the devil? That's what he was saying. And we need to once and for all answer the question, have you decided for Jesus Christ? And can I encourage you that you make your decision an emphatic yes, no matter what the cost, no matter what the cost. And I'm not asking you or pleading with you. I am a minister of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I have every right to stand here before you and present to you an opportunity to make that kind of decision because I know the heartache and the pain that people go through when they are living straddled across the fence, when they are living in one world and in another. I wish you could come into my office at times and hear people's stories of decisions that they have made that have ruined them, that have brought them to a place of absolute uh, destruction. In the scripture that Paul that we read, Paul brings a warning. The warning is flee. Flee. F-L-E-E, not F-L-E-A. Flee. Flee from the worship of idols. Flee from idolatry. We are called to flee to flee idol worship. Paul is quick to acknowledge that eating food offered to idols was not the problem. He's already told the believers at Corinth that if you buy the meat at the temple market, who cares? Eat it anyway, it's just meat at the end of the day. That's what he told them. He has also said that the idols themselves made of wood, clay, stone or metal have no power in and of themselves. They are false, they're phony, they are human creations. But to engage in an environment of worship, going into the temple and eating of that meat in the pagan worship environment is tremendously seductive and you can get caught up in a lifestyle that will self-destruct. That's what he was saying. You say, well, I've never dreamed of being involved in a pagan feast or bowing down to any idol. You simply therefore don't understand what idolatry is. Idolatry involves taking something that is created and putting it in the place of the Creator. 
The Apostle Paul grapples with this in Romans 1, describing our human tendency to exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator. That's Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Idolatry is creator, creature, creature worship. It comes in various forms. Materialism can be idolatry. Our love for money, our love for things, our love, uh, it's, and it's prevalent in our, in our society, we all agree. But when material things are, that are okay for us, you know, it's okay to have material things, but when they preoccupy you and become the focus of your attention, it becomes an idol. Success is another uh, part of idolatry. Success can be idolatry. People driven to be successful. It's the competition they love. Winning is the name of the game. Driving ourselves to being the biggest and the best is what it's all about. Uh, Overattention to self can be idolatry. When life becomes all about me, I have become my own God, my pleasure, my physical appearance, my entertainment, my retirement, my sports become all important. That can be idolatry. Relationships, believe it or not, can be idolatry. How sad it is to see a person driven by romance, looking for the perfect partner. And that quest becomes the process of worship, replacing the quest after right relationship with God. We find our spouse and we put that person on a pedestal. And then along comes a child and we worship him or her. And then the grandchildren take the place of God in our life. All of these are wonderful and they're, they're good, but must not sabotage our first priority, that being our relationship with God. Or, it's not often talked about these days, but I kind of agree with Paul, because what can happen is the demonic can turn you away from God as we become disappointed or even bored with legitimate relationships. Sex before marriage can be our preoccupation. Oh, Brent. (laughs) Or sex outside of marriage can become our compulsion. So relationships can be idolatry. Religion can be idolatry. Jesus struggled with the Pharisees whose idol was religious rules. That's what they worshipped. Hurting people would be left by the side of the road as they went, uh, to, went to their next religious meeting. People didn't matter. It was the religious externals that actually counted. So let me ask you, what is your idol? Is there any creature that takes the place of God in your life? Is it a family member? Is it a husband? Is it a wife? Is it a child? Is it a boyfriend? Is it a girlfriend? Is it the power by which we seek to control and dominate? Is it money? Uh, we all need it, absolutely. But, but do we let it become an end in itself? Is it sports or other forms of recreation that become my reason for living? Is it television? Is it social media? Is it Instagram? Is it Facebook? They can become an idol as I organise my life around their schedule and pick my values and my perceptions of reality from our screens? Or am I a disciple of Jesus Christ? Am I a disciple of Jesus Christ? Yearning to get to know Him better, to love and to serve Him faithfully. Am I prepared to put Him front and centre 
and let these other real and important entities in my life cluster underneath my worship and love for Jesus. And there is a serious reminder for us all that Paul brings up, that behind everything or everyone that could be a potential idol, good, bad or neutral, is not a vacuum, but a demonic power. I'll say that again so you get that. Everything or everyone that could be a potential idol, good, bad or neutral, is not a vacuum. It's not emptiness. It's not a space. It's a demonic power. Satan is alive and well. He is not all powerful, but he is powerful. Peter wrote, discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. The pagan worship at Corinth was not innocent. Behind the idols themselves, without power, the idols had no power, but behind the idols was the demonic. That is why Paul says, I do not want you to be partners with demons. That is why he says, you and I cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. That is why he says, God is a jealous God because he is in a gargantuan. Did you like that? A gargantuan struggle with Satan. The victory is already God's. He's already won, but God knows Satan is winning many a fight. And we see it and we know it. We've got friends who have walked away from God because the devil's got a hold of them, but they don't understand it's the devil. They think it's just their own reasoning or their own thinking. That's where it starts, we know that, but don't give the devil a foothold. God wants to protect you from that which looks so innocent and so acceptable and so fun. God knows that the wages of sin is what? Is death. It is not because He wants to crush us. He knows the inevitable consequences. We have become so sophisticated in the 21st century that we neglect to take seriously the biblical teaching about the demonic realm. Some of you daily read your horoscopes. Some of you take seriously uh, characteristics that you are told are yours because you were born in a certain month under a certain zodiac sign. Some of you have tried to communicate with departed people. The demonic is real. Never forget those words of the Apostle Paul who wrote, Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the degrading of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. And we are that generation. We are that culture. We have a woke culture, a cancel culture that is, is likely for God to hand us over to our own lusts and our own thinking and our own reasoning to a point we, we, where we are destroyed. Refuse to allow your Christianity to be an hour or two a week. Stop limping between two opinions. Either God is God or money is. Either God is God or sport is. Either God is God or relationships are or your vocation is. Choose this day whom you will serve and emphatically declare, as we come around the communion table this morning, emphatically declare, as for me, I will serve the Lord. I make a decision today to serve Him, to love Him, to honour Him, to, to obey Him. 
this is a moment. Come around the communion table. Paul said this, he said, oh, actually, I just found it before in the worship. Um, he said this, he said, look, you, you know, look, don't take the, the cup and the, the bread, have communion in an unworthy manner. He said, otherwise you, you, you're eating and drinking judgment on yourself. That's why so many of you are sick and weak. That's why a number of you have fallen asleep. And maybe that's part of that. I mean, there's a, there's a, that was another passage that Paul was writing. Maybe the passages both kind of line up. Two, what side of the fence are we on? Why are we sick and why are we weak? Maybe it's because of our double-mindedness. Maybe. But he said, man, you know, communion's a pretty serious thing. When you take it, don't do it in an unworthy manner. Don't have God on. He knows you. He knows, he knows you. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what's going on in your life. And He's calling you for an absolute total decision to bow the knee to Him and to submit to Him and to allow every other thing to submit to Him, every other thing that you, you desire to submit to His Lordship. It's not that He doesn't want you to have some of those things, it's just simply that He wants you to submit those things to Him. And so we have an opportunity. We're gonna take communion this morning. You've got an opportunity to do that. What's your idol? What is it you've been kind of playing with, toying with? What temple have you got into and you're eating from that you think is satisfying you, but it's not? It's actually killing you. What is it that has been bugging you over the last few weeks, even over the last few months and you can't seem to get rid of it because you know you've opened yourself up to something that you shouldn't have opened yourself up to. And it's got a hold on you now and you can't let go. Communion can wipe that away. It's not because of a ritual, it's because of your heart towards God. I'm taking the bread and I'm taking the cup. What does that mean? Well, it, what it means is I'm recognising and I'm thanking Jesus for what He did on the cross for me. He died on the cross for me. He took up my sickness, my disease. He took up every curse. He, he broke the power of the devil. That's what He did. So therefore, I have no, the devil has no power over me. He broke the power of the devil, therefore he has no power over me. I know it's a strong message, but we've got to get into this because it's important. I want a church on fire. I want a church that's going forging a, a, a way through this country that uh, of people sold out for God. And by the way, it doesn't have to be hundreds. It only needed to be 12. Someone wants to get on fire for God and people will come and watch you burn. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Are you on fire for God? Or has the world got you? 
And behind that has the demonic realm got a foothold on your life. Freedom. So we take communion this morning, believing for freedom. <coughs> I can't answer it for you. I can't help you with what maybe you're struggling with because I don't know you, but you know you. And God knows you and He can reveal something to you even today. I believe He will. I believe He will in this moment. We're gonna uh, take communion. We're gonna take the bread first. If you haven't done this before, we, we take the bread first and then we take the cup. <coughs> we eat the bread first and then we drink the cup because the other way around is a bit hard because the bread gets stuck in your throat. So it's bread first and then the cup. Just to, clarify, just to clarify. But the power of God can come on your life if you want. If you want. The ability to lift your leg up over one side of the fence can happen. Which side of the fence are you gonna go? Will you continue to limp between two opinions or will you settle for the one opinion? Will you call yourself a Christian and stick with it? Stick with it. It is the most blessed life. Wavering between two opinions is confusing, it's hurtful, it's painful. Why do you want that? Your choice. Host, would you come and take the bread, uh, pass the bread around in the cup? I think they're going to be passed around together actually, so take both, whatever comes to you first. And this is a moment of reflection. We're going to have a, just a moment of reflection, a reflection of our own life, our own soul, our own heart towards God. Have you made a decision for Jesus Christ? Today is the day. Father, I thank You for what we're about to partake in. I thank You for Your power. I thank You for Your anointing that's in this place. God's anointing is here. His anointing is here to break open something on Your life that sets You free from the things that we've, You've been dabbling in, the things that You've recognised have not been helpful. Father, I thank You right now for the healing power. That's why many of You are weak and sick is because we have not embraced the fullness of Christ in our life. And I pray today, I pray today that our hearts would be in unison, Lord God, with a resounding yes, a big yes to You, God. Yes, we repent. Yes, we ask for forgiveness. And you can do that now, right where you're seated. We ask for forgiveness. Forgive us, Lord. And receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit as He comes upon you, as He comes to dwell inside of you like never before. He will help you. He'll help you break the things of the past. He'll help you break the burdens that you've been carrying. He will help you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch with us. Email us at info at or visit our website 